to you by Chemistry. Hi everyone and welcome to Brought to You by Chemistry. What's brought to you by Chemistry, I hear you ask? Complicated reactions? Complicated exams? Even more complicated romances? Yes, but in this case it's also a podcast series from the Royal Society of Chemistry. So you see the branding there. So, so you see it, there's branding there. My name is Dr. Alex Lathbridge and we are back and better than ever. We're fully charged because in this series we are taking a look at batteries, bringing together experts from inside and outside the world of chemistry to help us understand the ins and outs, the positive and negative, the ups and downs of all things batteries. going to ask you a very difficult question to start with it is could you please introduce yourself yeah thank you Alex yeah my name is Claire Miller I'm the director of tech and innovation at Octopus Electric Vehicles and so my role goes across everything in our business from our digital environments and the websites and the quoting tools our customers use to build their vehicles and order them through our systems so everything that our team needs in order to order and deliver cars on a lease to our customers and also our customers to uh, interact with our brilliant products um, all the way across to innovation in mobility and energy and so I lead on uh, vehicle to grid with our power loop uh, vehicle to grid trial and uh, lots of uh, fun overlap between is your car uh, driven by a battery or has your battery got wheels so yeah that's the kind of cool innovation stuff I get involved with as well car driven by your battery or does your battery have wheels that is a philosophical question all right I like that I like that and that actually leads on to my very first question it's a doozy okay what is an electric vehicle because I hear it thrown around like a lot of people are like oh, electric vehicles electric cars mm-hmm. electric uh, what what actually is an electric vehicle like lay it out for me what is it that's such a good question thank you for asking that no one actually no one asked me that I think there's like an assumption that like yeah of course we all know what that is so like electric vehicle it can be any car that is uh, any vehicle that is driven by a, a battery as its um, like propulsion unit I think electric car is probably what pops into people's mind when you say electric vehicle, so passenger car. Um, you might think about a Tesla, which is you know, pretty pretty famous, pretty ubiquitous, uh, like the the one electric vehicle that went mass market. Um, but that can go everything down to like micro mobility. So it could be like an electric vehicle, could be uh, a scooter with a motor, could be a pedal bike with a motor, uh, and could be everything now up to like trucks and HGVs and uh, and and even more broadly like if we want to really expand our minds there's a you know electric flight like human electric flight is coming so like e-vtol like electric vehicle takeoff and landing and maybe even further than that who knows like some shipping there's like some very nice ships and boats and things so there you go it's about how do you propel yourself around the world on this vehicle and if you're using a battery electric vehicle okay okay so i mean i'm really going to expand the full range of of how we're going to take this so you said electric cars you can have electric cars i'm just going to do quick fire all right i love it okay cars you can have electric cars right yes no okay cool all right uh what about uh bikes yeah okay what about uh planes yeah okay what about helicopters yeah helicopter stroke drones uh, stroke okay okay well this is the fillets off you're really expanding you're really pushing this okay what about tractors yeah although maybe hydrogen's better 
like for that application but yeah electric tractors yeah okay all right trains yeah okay okay what about metro systems like the tube uh yeah yeah yeah, I think there's I think also there's a good there's a there's a really good question in here, which is about like, are you charging up like a storage device and then you're using that to move you around? Or are you actually like taking the electricity uh, like uh, as you are moving the vehicle? So there's a really interesting crossover, which is around um like vehicles that use pantographs have you come across pantographs so pantograph yeah, obvious, you definitely all the you time. definitely have you definitely have yeah i'm, 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 curr- I'm currently wearing <laughs> pantographs what, <laughs> what what is what's that okay so so if you've ever seen a train going along a track and it has like a kind of like massive coat hanger thing touching from the rail up like down to the to the to the train that's called a pantograph and so there are trials right now with uh hgvs lorries that drive on battery on the road and then there's parts of the road that are electrified with a pantograph so literally taking that railway technology and bringing it to sections of the motorway where the lorry can pick up contact to the pantograph charge its battery a bit as it's going and then like off it goes again so uh, because you mentioned about underground that made me think about that like the underground is being driven by the electrified rail so yeah, it's pretty existential. I'm loving this. This is awesome. That's actually kind of terrifying a little bit because you're talking about oh, driving on the motorway. There'll be a bit of a motorway where like an HGV can be charged up. But as someone that drives on the motorway a lot, like mm. if I saw, you know, like when you see trucks in front of you, when they're carrying like bits of wood and stuff and you think of the <laughs> film Final Destination, you think I have to speed past. Uh, or if it's a hydrogen tanker, because like, I do not want to be here. Um okay. I think of it like that. If there's a hanging down electrical thing, isn't that going to affect me? Like imagine if I had bikes on top of my car, wouldn't they get hit by this pantograph? You know, obviously I don't exercise really, but like, you know <laughs> what I mean? This this conversation is going in a wildly different direction from where you thought it, it would be going this morning. <laughs> no, no, it's fascinating. And it's a really good point. So like, um, yeah, so the the cables are like really high. Um, the, the systems have like an auto uh, pickup with a motor so they can like raise and lower depending on like where the lorry's at to pick up the rail um and then also it has to like make the full circuit so it's a bit like you know why doesn't the pigeon get fried sitting on a massive power line uh and it's like it's not actually making a circuit both its feet are on the same line so it's not actually making a full circuit it's a similar kind of concept but yeah there are those safety considerations and it's really important to think about those as we're like innovating is to think about those real world practicalities can you explain why octopus like as an electricity company are interested in like the electric vehicle market yeah so um so octopus energy is the electric part and like the customer electric uh part of the business and uh and actually at the heart of that business is technology and and also amazing customer service and that is what actually goes through all of the electric oh the um octopus uh like group all of our group companies is all about like bringing technology to disrupt and, and deliver really amazing customer experiences. And actually, think about um, electricity. Electricity is, is what is going to fuel these vehicles. Um, and actually, electricity is what we need in our homes. It's what we're going to need to heat our homes. We can talk about, about that. You know, I don't want to like, dilute the electric vehicle chat, but like, you know, moving away from gas heating, burning gas in our homes, it's one of the, it's one of the biggest contributors contributors to carbon emissions and we need to 
have electric heating with air source heat pumps and other like technologies. Um, and when you start to think about it, actually, the electric is at the heart of all these things. And so electric vehicles is one of those um, places in our lives where, you know, we will be using electric to move ourselves around. Having an electric vehicle business, one, it is to help people transition away from ice vehicles. You know, we look at the price of fuel right now. I mean, even before the recent kind of fuel crisis and, and war in Ukraine and lots of, um, you know, lo lots of these kind of bigger uh, issues in the world, like it was already quite expensive to buy petrol and diesel. And actually, it's much cheaper to use uh, electricity to, to fuel your vehicle. And uh, aside from that, moving away from those polluting vehicles as well is really important. So that's like uh, one of our main missions at, at Oxford's electric vehicles. Um, and yeah, so the crossover with the energy is then once people have an electric vehicle, it really opens your mind. It's like a gateway drug to thinking about energy. And it's thinking about, hang on, what about the kettle on? That actually uses quite a lot. And actually, all these lights in my house, why have I got them on? And then you start to think about, at what times of the day do we have to burn a lot of gas to meet a really high demand around tea time versus overnight, often when it's windy, absolutely loads of electricity on the grid, but nowhere for it to go. And so what, what we want to do is to help people understand that, like, yes, your electric vehicle helps you move around the world just like your car does now, but it also does so much more. So it's a place to put energy at a time when there's lots of renewables on the grid and, it's, uh, and it gives you that, then that choice in the future to maybe use that energy at a different time of day when it's going to help you financially and it helps the grid as well. So yeah, electric vehicles is, there's a lot more to electric vehicles than, than your petrol or diesel car. Th that was a lot. There's, there's a lot there. And I feel <laughs> as though as someone who's in this world, you, you, you perhaps understand it a lot better, which is why we have you here. Um, <laughs> it's not just for, I mean, no one can see this because this is an audio medium, but a fantastic jumper you're wearing <laughs> covered in what? what, what's it covered in? Little lightning bolts. Very, very, very on brand. I, I appreciate <laughs> it. So I am interested in an electric car. Like my next car, I would like it to be electric. I've currently got a what 2008 Nissan Micra. If anyone's looking to buy one, um, let me know. And, you know, it's, it's difficult. Like, you know, you're saying now with fuel prices being so high, but even in the past, like, yo, it's not fun being broke and trying to fill up a car like have you ever tried um putting your car into neutral and then gliding down yeah. a hill just being 100%. like Come on, this has got to get me home this has got when to get me home when i was a student 100 that yeah. was definitely my life <laughs> and so like what would actually happen if everyone like tomorrow everyone switched to electric vehicles could the national grid could, could the country mm. support that Oh, it's such a good question. I mean, and like you say, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack that. I think the two, the two main things there, I think are around, you know, shifting our mindset to uh, like the time at which you're buying this fuel, inverted commas, like can influence the price that, like you say, that's, that's not something that we're necessarily used to. Um, and the other one is, can the grid cope? Uh, and I'm going to put some like conditions around that because uh, right now, like, even if we could all switch to electric, we can't get those cars at the moment. It's a really like quite a big restriction on supply of cars. And actually you mentioned your car. Do you know what? The secondhand car market is crazy at the moment. Cars are appreciating in value. So your car is making money purely because you own it. Because right now there are not enough cars available for the people that want to buy them. And like, it's a real like, I don't know, it's a real like economics case study. We're living in this like living lab where 
there's not enough vehicles coming into the market new. That's electric or, or petrol and diesel because there's a massive shortage of, um, of chips, silicon chips. And you think about anything that uses chips, it's not just the vehicles. So I don't know if, you know, there were friends of mine who were trying to get uh, video games like Xboxes and things like that over Christmas. Couldn't get them, couldn't find them because there weren't enough chips. And actually that's having a knock-on impact in terms of car manufacturing. So there's not enough new cars making it into the market. And we mentioned Ukraine, it's really starting to impact some of the supply chains now for all cars um, to get you know, enough parts to the right factories to build the cars. So actually secondhand cars are, are, are going up in price at the minute. Anyway, so back to the, to the questions about um, you know, the, the, the energy cost at different times. And that's all part of our um, like transition to this new world of like cleaner, greener energy and having choice over like when you fuel and when you don't fuel. Because actually at the minute you don't have a choice as a petrol diesel driver about when you fuel, like when your car's empty, you, you don't have a choice. You, you don't, you have to go somewhere else and you're stuck with the price that they are giving you and you have to take it because otherwise your car's not going anywhere. Whereas when you have an electric vehicle, you have a choice of like where you're going to charge. Not everyone has a driveway. If you've got a driveway, then you can access your tariff at home cheaper overnight than during the day. Or there's lots of like on street parking and uh, like sharing other people's charges. There's lots of different models there. And then the other question about the grid. Well, look, the national grid, uh, those guys and girls are amazing and they have got uh, some very grand plans for how much they're going to increase the capacity of the grid. So it, at the moment, if we snapped our fingers and we plugged in all the cars right now, but literally everybody in the whole country, then yeah, it probably wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't go down so well on the grid. And actually on a smaller scale, we see that when everyone gets home from work, that's what we see, right? Or the like, FA Cup final, uh, half time, everyone puts a kettle on. I thought I thought we were going to go for the East Enders effect. Is that is that not a thing at the end of East Enders or the start of East Enders? Everyone, oh puts yeah, a kettle I think on? I'm going to guess that now we have like uh, uh, like streaming services that actually there's not that many events now that like millions of people tune into at the same time. So that's why we're like FA Cup or like World Cup final, maybe like opening ceremony of the Olympics, things that like people would be tuning in at the same time. But yeah, it's exactly that. Like I know you actually exactly what you mean. Everyone gets up, put the kettle on. And so I think um, it's that effect that we are, like, we're, we're looking to like help the grid, certainly through vehicle to grid every day, you know, sharing a bit of battery from vehicles to like reduce the peak. But actually, there will need to be an increase in the capacity on the grid. And that's not just for vehicles, that's for heating as well. Uh, and actually, uh, we need to do both together. So the grid's going to get bigger, more capacity. But actually, if we can be smart about thinking of back to that, you know, is this a battery on wheels? Somewhere to put energy. And when you've got a lot of renewables, so when we stop burning coal and now we're going to stop burning so much gas, we start making a lot more energy from wind and from solar. Sadly, we can't make the wind blow and we can't make the sunshine. And though, unfortunately, when we make energy using those technologies, we need to put it somewhere so then we can use it later when it's not sunny and it's not windy. And electric vehicles are awesome, an awesome place to store that energy to then use it later on. And so like vehicle to grid is a really good example of what we're going to be able to do in the future at, at scale when we've got millions of cars on the road that can do it. Right now, electric cars, just charging them overnight, like in an orchestrated way, in a managed way, 
is is an amazingly powerful way of like storing this energy and uh, we're already doing that right now so customers can get onto something called intelligent octopus where we can uh, we can turn your car kind of to charging on and off overnight so that it's charged up to the amount you want it in the morning but we've done it in a way that really helps the grid and uh, and you get a really good tariff associated with that so that's like the first step towards like full vehicle to grid and we're doing it right now with with what you've explained there and i think for me and probably a lot of the listeners i guess it's that shift in mind from treating your car as being a like this is just a functional thing this gets me from point a to point b i'm filling it with you know fuel using it to go somewhere whereas you're sort of thinking about treating cars electric vehicles as like a decentralized sort of energy storage um, where there's that real give and take real give and take so like we are essentially we're all small parts of the yeah. electric electricity grid um that yeah. makes sense okay is that that sort of yeah. the vibe spot on oh <laughs> sweet <it>. nailed it <laughs> oh fantastic okay so with that in mind why are electric vehicles so expensive claire look you're talking <laughs> you're talking like oh yeah it's a great thing to do like why why are they so much money because i'm looking to get like an electric vehicle um but i go on secondhand like i I try and buy you know secondhand electric vehicles they're still like you know 20k um and even then you know you'll be on the website and it'll be like uh we're not sure if it hasn't previously been used as like a taxi as an uber or whatever you know (laughs) it's 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 a year old somehow Mm. it's it's you know clocked a hundred thousand miles yeah, it's a good, another good point. And actually, it goes back to partly what I said about supply. Actually, uh, it's also about like being a newer technology uh, in the market. So actually, usually what happens in the like, you know, the, the like technological um, like steps forward is that it takes a lot of money for the manufacturers to like develop and build and test and then launch those products. And so the, the first products that come out are more expensive because they kind of claw back their investment. And then those like products become a bit more ubiquitous and the prices start to come down because then the next big thing comes out. So like uh, I always like remember uh, my mum's car had uh, had winders on the windows. It's like wind your window down and wind it up again. And I remember this amazing day when we got our new car, which is like second or third hand, but it had electric windows. I was like, oh, my God, we've completely arrived. Electric windows. Amazing. I think with electric cars, it's that kind of writ large. Actually, a lot of this technology is still really new and the manufacturers have spend a lot of money like developing it. And so they're going to try and claw back some of that. Um, but another challenge to your point about like secondhand cars, what I mentioned um, earlier is that right now we are in a bit of a weird bubble that people have not seen before, which is that you've got this very restricted supply on vehicles generally coming into like, developed markets and electric vehicles haven't been around that long. So you also don't have that many that are coming onto the secondhand market so you've got these two things at the same time. It's like there's not many electric vehicles anyway, and the ones that are coming on secondhand are suddenly making money. They're suddenly like, honestly, if you, um, yeah, we, I had this this thing where we were, we were looking at um, one of our vehicles that we own as a business that we use, and I was looking at the price, and literally over the course of six, 12 weeks, it was jumping like 1,500, like 3,000 pounds. It was literally going up in value because of this weird bubble we're in. So what I would say to people is that like, don't be disheartened. The prices are going to come down. And also there's going to be a lot more choice once we uh, and once the manufacturers resolve these supply chain issues, which being brutal, like could take another year or so to get those supply chains back up and running. But actually, there's so much demand. There's so much interest uh, that 
they're bringing cheaper models and more supply. And then we'll start to see cars moving into the second hand market, third, fourth. And you know what the brilliant news is, is that the batteries that are in these vehicles are incredible. And the manufacturers themselves are starting to come out saying, we can't believe that our batteries are so great. Like we wanted to be conservative with a small C and we still can't believe that they're so good as a consumer. Like, how do I know that this secondhand car battery is okay? So the good news there is that the manufacturers themselves are super excited about how their batteries are performing. And there's lots of interesting like innovation coming in assessing the battery. So like taking a health check of that battery at the point at which you might buy it is going to be really important. That's my oh. like one to watch. Yeah, it's my one to watch for the future. When you're buying a secondhand petrol diesel car, you like you go for a test drive, you listen to the engine, you like you might do like, you know, like the 50 point check with like the oil and the battery with, um, and the brakes and this and that. With an electric car, it's been really important to like assess the battery. But actually, another bit of good news is that, you know, those, those manufacturers, they had grand plans for like taking those batteries out of those cars and making them into like second life products. So maybe like a battery that's just like bolted into your home that you use to store energy there, or maybe like putting those together and making a grid scale battery. So like literally in a shipping container, having 20 or 40 batteries together to make a bigger battery. They can't mm. get the batteries because they're performing too well. So it's kind of an irony that the vehicle batteries are amazing. They're, I guess they're trying to build that infrastructure to, to recycle and reuse the batteries, yeah. but it's too early on to like really see how, how we can do that because we don't have enough batteries that are at the end of their lives because the batteries yeah. that are coming out now are in fact better than they yeah. thought it would be. Do you think it'd be possible to create like a full like circular economy, you know, when it comes to like yeah. uh, these, these batteries Like you put them in cars after they're done with cars, you can put them, you know, like you're saying in shipping containers or use mm -hmm. them to charge one part to power, like one part of your home or something. Yep. Could that be a, could that be a thing? A hundred percent. And oh. it's really, yeah, really mind blowing. And isn't it like, does it make you feel happy? It makes me feel really happy. Yeah, it makes me feel happy in like a general, oh, cool sense. Me as a human, as a scientist, that's mm -hmm. a really fascinating thing. Oh, wow, that's so cool. Personal sense, Alex, I'm still broke. So nothing, <laughs> nothing at this point has changed. <laughs> Let me be blunt. I'm still like, this is great. So like, so you're saying that it could be, you know, we could get to a point where batteries are able to sort of, after their use in cars, they'll have this second life. But me, let's say I have an electric vehicle, like, mm -hmm. are they fundamentally cheaper to run? And like, how long do you actually have to have an electric vehicle for savings to be worth it? Because like for me, when me and my partner, me and mm -hmm. my partner, when me and my wife, um, <laughs> you know, she'll get mad at me if I say, me and my wife have looked at, um, we've looked at sort of electric vehicles. One of the ways that we worked out that it might work out is mm -hmm. like, you know, early I guess early adopter advantage in that like you know I could go to Lidl and then while I do my shopping it's an hour free or if I go to the cinema near me you know there's you can get like 45 minutes free and you can have all these different charging points some are yeah. fast some are you know whatever some mm -hmm. are not as fast you know does it actually work out cheaper are there actually savings to be had there mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we call this total cost of ownership. So you might hear like people talking about TCO. Uh, it's a bit of a buzzword or a bit of a buzz acronym, right? So, so basically what this means is think about uh, how many miles you do. And this is what's really important to this. It's really personal to, to you as, a, as an individual and your family and what you do with your vehicle. 
think about how many miles you drive, um, maybe a year, and you think about what that will cost you if you put petrol diesel into a petrol diesel car. So you can work out just the running cost alone of like how much that's going to cost you. And right now, obviously, those prices are, are going up and up. So it, you need to make some assumptions. We're scientists, we're engineers, we make some assumptions about what that might look like. You compare that to charging your electric car and how much it will, how much electricity is needed to take you the same number of miles. You can do a like for like, like running cost comparison. Um, you mentioned a really interesting thing there about like where you charge and like trying to like pick up free charge and stuff. There are, there are still quite a lot of places where you can get a free charge. Um, and there are lots of places where, uh, you know, at work, they're going to be installing chargers, for example, where you might be able to get a bit of work. And at home, you know, your domestic tariff, uh, Octopus leads the way in time of use tariffs. So tariffs that cost you different amounts at different times, but others will come. And again, I mean, there's a whole like side story there about what happened in the energy market in the UK uh, when, you know, unfortunately, lots of energy companies uh, weren't able to continue operating and a lot of innovation, I think, was sort of lost out of that ecosystem, but it will come and it will come back. So, uh, so yeah, so there's lots of different options for charging, which will impact how much it's going to cost individuals. But if we take a big step back, actually, over the, over the you know, the, the course of, you know, three, four years, um, it's in massive, massive savings on those, on those sort of running costs. And then you lump in the cost of the vehicle itself and you're, you're totally right, Alex. Like it is more expensive upfront to buy a vehicle. We actually support people into leasing vehicles. So actually, the cost of ownership for somebody with Octopus electric vehicles is actually over the course of three, maybe two, three, four years. Our monthly payments is what you need to be putting in there. So the monthly payment, which kind of gives you access to that vehicle, that could start another conversation about, you know, why would you own a car? You want mobility as a service, like you want to go somewhere, you don't want to own the thing. But anyway, it's part of that for now. Um, you can start to think about, you know, yeah, I know, terrible, but there's so many puns, so many puns in this in this <laughs> space. Yeah, park that for now. Um, you know, the cost of leasing over those few years, plus the the cost of running the vehicle, it it far it kind of kind of blows the ice vehicles out of the water. Um, and then uh, you know, in terms of like places to find cheap charging um like lots of supermarkets actually still have cheap charging it's slow so keep that in mind so like you're going to do your shop as you say you're, like, you're going to pop around the shop you might go to cinema you might be doing something else um there's often like a free vendor or a free charger um and i guess that also starts to hopefully starts to get people thinking about like how you charge your vehicle is a lot more like you charge your phone than it is like fueling your ice vehicle your petrol diesel vehicle so your um I should also say ICE is internal combustion engine. That's another little acronym in the in the industry, like petrol and diesel, ice vehicle. Um, and so, yes, if you can see a charger, like, do a little top up. Why wouldn't you? Um, especially if it's free. Um, on that, I mean, this is just sort of a side thing. Um, but like many people my age and younger, you know, mm. the 20s, you know, we're looking to buy property and stuff. And, you know, like if I could buy a flat or a house at some point, that would be sick. You know, one of the first things they say is like, we will look into the fact that you're, if you are leasing a vehicle, you know, that affects, you know, how much money you can borrow, that affects mm -hmm. your ability to actually buy a, a home. So like all of these things are sort of changing and saying, I know, you know, from your perspective, from Octopus, um, there's Octopuses, Octopuses perspective, you know, there mm -hmm. is the idea of leasing, you know, I've seen that, but like for many people, they would like to buy a car outright. That would be a nice thing to have. So, I mean, you're talking about, you know, this idea of cars being really part of our grid and stuff. Like if I, let's say 
somehow I have an electric vehicle and, you know, I want to be able to sell money back to the grid or, you know, mm-hmm. somehow be part of that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Will that affect my car? Will that make my car battery like worse if there's mm-hmm. electricity going back and forth and back and forth? I think once people get their heads around the idea that you can get the electricity out of the car battery as well as put it back on the grid, once you because that's pretty mind bending. Once you think about that, because, again, you don't take the petrol out of your car and like put it back in the pump. And I think that is quite a big step for people yeah. to be like, Does it, make, why would you do that? It, like, it why really, would you... th- that's the thing that yeah. gets me, because that's the first thing I think of. It's like, no, once I take it from the place, it's in my car and yeah. I own that. That yeah, is my yeah, fuel. Yeah. No taking away from me. That's it. And I think like uh, the point you made there about leasing versus ownership, again, like it's about like a kind of sharing economy, not an ownership economy. And actually it's a massive cultural shift, like thinking about, I just need a service that gives me like access to music. Why would I have hundreds of CDs kicking around my house? Like Spotify totally makes sense. We made that shift, but like, I, I remember having a very decent CD collection. I took a lot of time and money to build up. Totally not needed now. Very upsetting. But got to let it go. Because actually, on listen to music, I don't want to own loads of basically bits of plastic. Um, and I think with with cars and, with, and then with this energy, similarly, I've kind of got to be a bit less precious about like owning it and controlling it and keeping it. Um, and actually, the numbers, to your point around like owning versus leasing, like it doesn't stack up. Uh, to invest so much cash in something which immediately is worth less to you um, and the risk as well of like running that vehicle is, goes away when you lease it actually the question you asked me was about energy and actually once you get your head around the fact that the energy can come out of the battery as well as in then you start to say well okay how am I going to use that energy and that's what I meant about like the gateway to thinking about energy in your home you think well hang on like I can choose when I use energy now I've got somewhere to put it for later and I think that's the bit that's going to blow everybody's mind and be really exciting so on a practical level like moving energy in and out of the battery is what the battery is designed to do now for vehicle to grid we park the vehicle somewhere next to a special charger and it sits there for a bit gently discharging so the energy is moving out of the car according to like a very controlled um, like exporting profile which means it comes out like nice and slow Nice and controlled, according to a quite smooth uh, kind of downward curve. If you were to like look at a graph of the energy leaving the battery, if you discharge the car the other way that it can do it, that means you've got to drive it. And so, actually, thinking about energy comes out of that battery somehow when you use the vehicle, and if you drive the vehicle to get the energy out, how are you driving? And that is another massive topic. So, electric vehicle driving so different to an ICE vehicle. It's much smoother, much more fun. Like it's direct. I mean, I mean, you're not going to say it's bad. <laughs> like you're not going to come. <laughs> it's like a car salesman. Well, also, like, nah, I mean, it's pretty uh, naff. also, if I were to say it was bad, like everyone listening to this who's got electric car would be like, nah, it's amazing. So uh, like they would call me out straight away. Like, so, so actually, um, so the, and the cars themselves are like much nippier and like quicker off the mark. But for the battery, that's not always the best life, right? So town driving, fast, slow, stop, start. Um, but that's what they're designed to do. And that's what they're designed to cope with. And as I mentioned, those batteries are lasting incredibly well under those real life driving conditions. Compare that to being a vehicle to grid, uh, you know, to doing a vehicle to grid session. That's like a spa break for the battery. Um, we're starting to see studies now coming out, which actually say that not only does it not harm the battery, actually, 
So you're doing it in that. Um, so batteries uh, behave according to an S curve. Okay, so they like to live between about like 30% and 80%. You know that like nice like I'm I'm doing hand signals that you can't see on a podcast, but like anyone that the knows what an S spot. curve is, the, the sweet yeah. spot. And actually, it. in there, like the battery's like super happy. And there's emerging evidence that by doing this like gentle charging, discharging, cycling for vehicle to grid, you might even be um, like conditioning the battery. So actually you're, you're extending like the, the time at which it has quite a high state of health. So it, the time at which it operates in its like, you know, in its best state. So, I mean, we've had this super long, super wonderful conversation. Now, would you be able to say, I mean, this is the last question I always ask people, if there was one thing you want listeners to take away from this, what would you want that to be? The future is really exciting and it's really bright and it's really hopeful. And I know that day to day, particularly right now, it might not feel like that. And it actually, yeah, being serious for a minute, like the, the things that you've touched on there around affordability and access to these technologies and, you know, e- equity or equitable, um, you know, access to things that isn't the case right now but it's getting better and there are lots of us working really hard to make it fair and to have a fair and just transition in this you know transition to clean green energy and mobility so yeah it's it is a hopeful outlook um but it's you know it's coming and it's and it's like keep your eyes and ears open be curious you know bang on bang on the doors right so go to your energy supplier and say like what are you doing about this what are you doing for me when when am i going to get access to these better tariffs and these like why are you still like buying, um, you know, energy from fossil fuels generation? So you can make your voice heard. You you do have power as a as a customer. So yeah, it, it is hopeful and it is coming and it is going to be really amazing. The next five to ten years is going to be an absolutely wild ride. Hey, so could you start by telling us basically what your role is and what do you do at the National Grid? Yeah, so uh, my name is uh, James Kenaway. I'm the Energy Intelligence Manager at National Grid ESO. Uh, so what National Grid ESO do is that we're kind of like the residual, residual balancers for the system. So we make sure that the right amount of energy ends up with the right people um, uh, and the right amount and the amount that's actually generated matches what the demand is uh, at any given point. We do that 24-7. So, so uh, our control centre here is primarily responsible for ensuring security of supply of electricity uh, for the country. Okay, so is it your guys' job to worry about when it's half time the football match and everyone puts the kettles on and there's a lot of strain on the grid? Yes, 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 yes. So that's our that's our that's our control centre. So uh, so they, they actually monitor that uh, you know twenty four seven. We're we're more on the sort of the innovation side, which effectively leads into a pipeline. So everything we do here goes into that room as a, as a focal point. So they have the best. Um, decision-making, um, uh, you know, um, information they can get. Um, and one of the things that I love about working on the, the grid at the moment is it's ever-changing. It's, it's ever-evolving. I mean, to a certain extent, it's always done this. But, um, you know, we've seen an explosion of wind and solar in recent years. So um, give some idea, we've got somewhere around about 23 gigawatts of wind on the system at the moment. Uh, we've got about 13-ish gigawatts, gigawatts of solar on the system at the moment. Um, that's beautiful um, in terms of um, getting to the point where we can operate the grid with much less carbon. Um, but it also presents us a really interesting challenge, which is 
they're kind of weather dependent. And, uh, you know, for, for, for those of the listeners that aren't in the UK, potentially, the UK's weather isn't the most stable system in the world. Um, so, you know, uh, it's, you know, clouds going across can affect solar panels. You know, the, the wind is obviously highly variable. So it's kind of, okay, how do you integrate that with the existing technologies? Um, so just to give you a, a very brief a brief example of how it's changed. Um, if, if I go back a couple of decades, actually the grid was designed to work with a very small number of large generators radiating power outputs effectively. Um, now we're seeing a much larger number of small generators um, and that, that, that at least can sort of flow in, in many directions. So um, the really good thing about the way the grid's set up is it can, it can cope with that and we can use it that way. You know, it's, it's, it's a really good uh, sort of living setup, if you like. So how do batteries come into play in how you manage that energy volatility in the grid? Um, so uh, if I look at um, a typical home setup, with a solar panel and a battery, okay? So I look at the one that I have on my house, for example. You know, I've got a 6.2 kilowatt hour peak solar array on the roof. Um, and if I just look at what that does, actually it's, it's pretty effective, um, but it does vary a lot. So if you've got a really dark cloud go over, your, the output of the array can be maybe a kilowatt. If that cloud passes it will, um, away and you get a blue sky, even this time of year, um, that could easily jump to four or five kilowatts. Yeah, so um, that volatility changes quite a lot. And that's not something that you can control as an engineer, you know, because obviously it's fully cloud dependent. So this is where the battery really comes into its own, because what we want to do is to be able to have a controllable output from that generation source, right? So in my home, I've got a, a very simple lithium ion phosphate battery, um, which is about 8.2 kilowatt hours. Um, and that will um, effectively take all of that solar energy, it, it trickle charges it in, you know, it's, it's not super high, super low, super coming out, you know. Um, so maximum charge in, charge out is about 2,700 watts, about somewhere around there. So about the same as boiling an average kettle. Um, but what that allows us to do is to actually then regulate that quickly changing solar to something that's much more manageable. Now, it then comes down to, okay, how do you apply that at grid scale? And also, what do you use the batteries for? Yeah. So there are lots of different ways that you can use batteries uh, in the home environment. You know, typically it's it's around about um, keeping your costs down. Uh, certainly with, with the energy energy rises that we've all seen now. Um, so it's maximising off peak versus on peak charging times, or even more agile type pricing structures. So where you have lots of green and cheap renewables running, um, actually let's. Let's store that energy from that period and use it in a period when, let's say, it's dark and not so windy. Yeah. So, but of course, kind of a smaller level. Um, it's then a case of, well, okay, what do you do with those batteries on the grid itself? Which I guess maybe maybe the next step to look at. That's fantastic. So I wanted to ask you mm. about electric vehicles because obviously mm. there's a big push towards more people owning electric vehicles now. Yep. And I've seen like the motorway services, you've got them all lined up. They're yep. all charging at the same time. And so I'm wondering, as we move towards more people having electric vehicles, what impact is that going to have on the grid? And is that something that you're preparing for? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, let's, let's just take that one at a time. So several really interesting points in there. So um, I must confess, I'm on my fourth EV at the moment. I, I, adopt, I, I became an EV driver long before it was sensible probably to do so. Um, and there's really no reason not to do it. Um, you know, it's 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 pretty much cheaper when you look at the the running cost of the car, and it's it's much better for the planet. Let's, let's just have a have a think about how, how you actually charge an electric car. So, um, if I if I take my, my my car to a motorway service station, you're quite right. There are there are lots and lots of 
of charge points out there now. Um, I, I plug in, and then that takes a draw. Now, now my my Tesla's a pretty pretty good. It will it will take an input of around about 150 uh, kilowatts plus uh, ish somewhere around there when the battery's in the optimum condition. I.e., it has to be at about the right temperature with the right state of charge for it to take that amount. Yeah. Um, imagine you've got 20 of those running at once. That's interesting, right? Uh, in terms of the power supply. So, so those rapid chargers, if you like, um, they, they can be powered in a couple of ways. Um, one of which is to directly connect them to the transmission network. So, where, where those motorway service stations are near um, high voltage systems. So, if you think the high voltage is like the motorway network, low voltage is like your your A roads, that kind of thing. Um, where, where they're near there, connect them in there. They can just pull the, pull the power direct. It's not a problem. Because in terms of the scale of the actual amount of power that runs the country, it's, it's, it's quite small. Okay, so that's cool. Um, where it gets really interesting is where you don't have uh, that connectivity, but you still need the charge point. Right? Um, I, always, I always think of it a, a little bit like a traditional toilet, which I know is a bit of a strange analogy, right? So if you think a local battery at that site would operate like your system, yeah, and your flush would operate like your rapid charge. Yeah, uh, you would trickle the energy in, fill up your system, and when your vehicle comes along, you'd you quick discharge. Yeah, so you'd have a have an on-site battery uh, delivering to your car battery. Um, first of all, this out in Germany, I think you know it's it's quite a cool way of using batteries. You know, um, yes, there's a little bit of loss in the of energy between the the, the battery to battery transfer, but actually it enables the thing to work really well. Um, it's also worth having a, having a think about, you know, the automotive batteries. You know, I mean, my first EV, you know, it did about 140 miles, uh, and that was considered very high at the time when I got it. Um, I've got a small battery Tesla at the moment um, that can easily chuck out 220, 230 mile range without me really thinking about it in winter. You know, I, I was reading that actually they've just done a um, a prototype um, battery test in in the US, which is using a Gemini battery in a in a, in a Tesla Model S, which is effectively a lithium-ion phosphate battery, which is the same as I have at home. Um, it, uh, and they actually put that into a Tesla S uh, prototype car. So it's a standard a stock car, but they took out the, the P100 battery from the Tesla and they put this Gemini battery in. And that actually achieved a range of 752 miles on a real-world road trip in winter. You know, that's phenomenal, right? Um, yeah, it's probably not going to be commercialized until maybe 2026-ish, but that's the way the battery tech's going. You know, as we start to go towards the solid state batteries, you know, which is which is incredible because uh, for those of you that haven't come across this, you know, the solid state allows you to not have the liquid in the battery. And it's the liquid really that uh, determines the life life and the, the source, and to a certain extent, the safety of the, of the battery as well. Um, so you see this stuff coming and changing very rapidly, you know. Um, where it becomes also very interesting is when you start to think about bus hubs, something like that. So, so if I look at the bus that, uh, so the one that we use here at National Grid House, for example. Um, so uh, the one that's uh, Faraday House, National Grid House up in Warwickshire, we have a bus that runs between the office and the station. Now that's a fully electric bus. It's not, it's not a hydrogen bus. It's not a diesel bus. It's not a hybrid. It's just a fully electric bus and that runs all day. It just drives in circles around, around Warwick all day. Um, and at night, it comes back, it plugs into its 150 kilowatt charger in the, de in the depot. It, re it recharges itself and off it goes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, and, and, I, and I love it because we're kind of like practicing what we preach kind of thing. Um, where it comes really interesting. OK, you've got a fleet of 100 buses. Yeah. Where do you, how do you charge them? Because a, a bus really doesn't make money when it's parked. So you want to minimise that parking time. Um, how does that work with with much more um, heavy scale transport? You know, and, and this is where your storage element comes in. You know, 
Um, do you do that with battery? For some, for some journeys, yes, absolutely. So the example where I'm doing my trip or if I've got a light, good, a light goods vehicle, something like that, absolutely go full electric. It'll make sense to. Where you have um, long, heavy haulage, which doesn't really stop, actually, it might be worth using green hydrogen Green hydrogen being stuff that's actually made from renewables and is and doesn't have the the, the impact that blue hydrogen does um, on on the on the planet. You know, using that within the vehicle as well to su- maybe supplement a battery. Thank you so much. Hey, no worries, Lizzie. Um, I, I, oh. I hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. I learned loads. Thank you. I've always <laughs> wanted to talk solve on the national grid. I find, right. it really, I find it really interesting. My name is Volker Presser. I'm professor for energy materials in Saarbrücken. I have three affiliations. One is with Leibniz Institute for New Materials, the second one with Saarland University, and the third one with Sarin, Saarland Center for Energy Materials and Sustainability, where we try to make the world a better place. Thank you. And can you just start by telling us what your work is at the moment? And especially, I know you're working on something to do with mining batteries for precious elements. I'm really interested to hear more about that. Absolutely. So, um, well, the name of our team is energy materials. So this really means we are looking into um, not just building better batteries, but also to really unlock uh, otherwise sometimes hidden potential of electrochemical processes and more and more the sustainability thereof as well. So we are looking into greener ways of making batteries. We are trying to use battery technology to make water clean. But when you engage in this thought that by applying electric potential, you're not just storing charge, because that is not what batteries do. Batteries store ions. And if you understand that by pushing a button and, you know, applying electricity that luckily you get back after the charging process, you can play with ion management. So this is where in the last years we really went into what some people call um, iron pumping or desalination batteries, where we use energy materials to harvest ions from seawater or other aqueous media. Okay, and what would we use those ions for that we're harvesting? Well, the question is always when you do iron harvesting or iron separation, what's the end purpose? One, of course, is making drinking water. So you basically don't care too much about what's inside. You just need a certain threshold of ions to you know, be under it to make water safe for potable reasons, right? Um, but the same thing applies when you look into contaminants, because sometimes you want to get the bad guys or bad gals out of the system. Um, we're talking about lead. We're talking about um, other pollutants like ammonia or phosphate. Or sometimes you can swap it around and say, well, it's not the bad people that we want out in terms of ions, but we want the good ones. And there you are interested, of course, these days above anything about lithium. And lithium is the white gold, so to speak, um, is definitely a precious resource to be tapped into. Um, thank you. So can you tell, can you talk to us a little bit more about lithium and why it's so important to preserve it? And also what are we doing, I guess, to reduce our reliance on um, mining new sources of lithium? 
Lithium is a tricky element. Um, first of all, we are actually at the moment quite hooked on it by present-day lithium-ion battery technology, which is a topic of its own, will it always be that way or not, but that's the core of um, electrification, of transportation, and mobile computing at the moment. So there's undeniable a transition. Actually, the share of using lithium for energy is the largest use globally at the moment for lithium. It used to be different applications, but now really has taken over. But lithium is an elusive element. At the moment, we mine lithium or by conversial, conventional mining technologies, um, terrestrial mostly. And by doing so, we are reliant on the presence of lithium ore, which is not homogeneously distributed across the globe. So you have certain areas like in South America, you also have in Europe a few clusters like in Portugal, um, but you don't have a lot and not in many places. And um, that really brings up absurdities that you mine lithium on one continent, like in South Africa, you ship it across the globe to Asia to be refined into, from, into the ore specifically, into then high-grade lithium, then batteries are being built out of of it and then shipped back to charming Europe for our users and customers to be used. Um, in terms of CO2 footprint, not very attractive at all. So are there ways of recycling lithium that's being used in batteries? Is that something that we're looking at? Absolutely. So um, battery companies and electric companies, they are not doing this because they love the environment so much necessarily, uh, but there are very hard mandates of many governments uh, across the globe, including the UK and European Union, that actually mandate a high percentage of recycling. We're looking into 60, 70, 80 percent and upwards in the coming decades. And to meet that, um, they are fairly easy to recycle components and batteries. When we talk about lithium-ion batteries, lithium, yes, it's inside lithium-ion batteries, but we have a large amount of graphite. We have uh, a large amount of metal from the current collectors like copper. Um, and a lot of those elements are easy to recover, like especially the metals from the casing, steel that you use high grade there. And there are things that are not so easy to recover, like the electrolyte that you used, or in this case, lithium. So lithium recycling that, um, you know, you go into um, shredding batteries, old ones, applying chemical and um, very often uh, pyrometallurgical processes to get back at those elements. Lithium is the one that is challenging to get, but it's definitely something that is driven largely also by costs. Um, because if you can start recycling those systems, um, those lithium-ion battery technologies, and capitalizing on the lithium as an ore, not from the earth, but from a spent battery, um, then we're looking towards not only doing the nature and environment a favor, but also being much more cost effective in the long term and you know, sustainable. So this episode of our podcast is about electric vehicles. So I just wanted to ask you about, so my understanding is that a lot of electric vehicles today use lithium ion batteries. Yeah. So do you see that becoming a problem as we're, we're moving towards a future where hopefully we'll be using a lot more electric vehicles? And I imagine that's going to put quite a big strain on resources. Um, so do you see that as an issue? And what do you think we need to be doing about it? 
Excellent question. And, um, you know, I could start with citing some numbers that are a little bit um, arguable, like 5% of lithium-ion batteries are only recycled, including the cars. But, you know, are we talking about recycling or reuse? Because you see a lot of second life applications where either the car is being still used as a car with a reduced range or where you use a battery from a car as a stationary unit for, you know, large scale or medium scale applications. So transitioning from the mobile application to an immobile application completely. So we're seeing a large number of electric cars being produced. It's an immense amount of cars that in a couple of years will require to be thought of what to do with them um, for you know, um, continuity of this launching of a new technology into the market and coming back to the recycling plants. So um, it's not just um, an environmental concern. Again, it's really the need to transition to circularity, to use this precious resource that we have in those car batteries to make car batteries again or use them for something else. So your work in um, desalination and um, extracting ions, water and so on, is that one of the applications that you could use old car batteries for? Absolutely. So um, the two tiers that we're currently working at is to extract lithium for natural occurring resources, uh, which can be seawater from the charming coast of Great Britain. It can be also, of course, the mine water that flows here in the rural area of Saarland. Um, but it can also be a the wastewater from a battery company factory, or it can be the products from battery recycling processes directly. Um, so we are working on these topics right now in the laboratory and uh, specifically electrochemical measure measures have the attraction that they don't use and consume a lot of chemicals and not much energy. So when you recycle, you really need to think about, well, how to do this also in an, well, cost prohibitive way, of course, would be a dumb way of doing it. So you should do it by saving kilowatt hours of energy and resources so that recycling actually is green and not adds to the CO2 footprint in too much a negative way. So did I understand that right, that some of the um, the manufacturing methods and the recycling methods or batteries create pollution and that you can then use batteries to address that pollution? Was Did I get that right? Yes, and that's one of the most wonderful close circles uh, of my career so far, because um, materials like lithium-ion phosphate, which is an up-and-coming um, electrode material for many applications, it has some drawbacks, but you see uh, a lot of cobalt-free technologies emerging on the market now. And these materials, they are wonderful for storing lithium. And it just turns out they just like lithium. So if you offer lithium-ion phosphate, sodium or other ions, lithium is picked out. Um, it's like you know having mixed nuts and you just pick the cashews that of course we all know are the clearly superior nuts. So this material really has a strong affinity towards lithium. And if you offer them, for example, natural occurring water or basically the hydrometallurgical residue of processed black mass from a battery recycling facility, then you extract lithium selectively. And we know the better you can separate the ions, the more precious and the more pure the final products will be and the easier the following recycling steps will be also. That was perfect. Thank you. Perfect.
That's all for this episode of Brought to You by Chemistry. Join us next time where we'll be finding out what can happen when batteries go wrong, and why you shouldn't really take electric scooters on the London Underground. It was produced by Hiran Joshi and Elizabeth Ratcliffe, and presented by me, Alex Lathbridge. Thank you.